0: I believe it is an inherently negative emotion, but we're given kind of an intellectual context to it by our environment, by what we're taught. Ideally, this is something parents should say, yeah, if you do a bad thing, you hurt someone's feelings, you get angry because a child is playing with a toy you want and you hit them and take it. And then your parents tell you that's not good. You can't do that. That's a bad thing. How do we process that? What is our understanding of it beyond kind of an obedience to authority? I don't know if that's what you meant by the age of shame Mm -hmm. or we are in an age of shame. Is that more what you meant? I don't
1: know. The first one.
0: Okay. How old
1: is our shame? When did we first start feeling shame in our bodies? Mm -hmm. And how is that sabotaging our relationships? So what does that shame feel like? What's the difference between shame and what's the difference between guilt?
0: Erickson stages were trust versus mistrust from Mm. about birth to 18 months. Autonomy versus shame and doubt. Toddler from ages 18 months to about three years. It seems like this is roughly the age we start learning what it means to feel shame or what that feeling of shame means. We give that feeling a name and we call it Mm -hmm. shame.
1: Let's talk about how that's developed.
0: Absolutely. When we're
1: with our parents and we're learning, hey, these parents represent my entire view of the world and how it's going to respond to me. If yeah. I'm crying and they're feeding me the bottle or they're tainting my diaper or they're soothing me, I'm learning I can trust them. I can trust the world to be responsive to my needs. I feel yeah. safe. I'm developing secure attachment. But if they're not doing those things, then all of a sudden I'm learning I can't trust my parents. I can't trust the world. The world isn't responsive to my needs. This is not going to work out well for me. I'll likely develop insecure attachment, whether it's anxious, avoidant, or a combination of both. And then we move on to Erickson's second stage of autonomy and shame and doubt. Now I'm Mm -hmm. learning to walk. I'm learning what toys I can play with. I'm learning how to softly interact with other people. And my parents can either really help me to positively reinforce that and say, hey, you're doing a great job. You fell down. Get back up. Mm
0: -hmm. Or hey,
1: we don't hit people when you're frustrated. Let's do this a little differently. Say I'm frustrated or keep your hands to yourself. Or they can just yell at you and make you feel bad for falling. They can make you feel bad for getting frustrated and not knowing how to process these things, which obviously you're not going to know how to process any of this. You're just a little baby. Yeah. Is that where shame stems from, from what we've learned, from what we picked up, from how people interacted with us in those stages of I'm exercising my autonomy and I'm not sure if I'm exercising this correctly? We're already a little bit uncertain or maybe we're super curious and we're excited, but then the way people respond to the way that we've exercised our autonomy as children, maybe that brings about that shame. And that brings about the, oh, I don't know how to do anything. I'm not worth anything.
0: There's a pop psych idea that shame is universally bad. We shouldn't shame other people. There's something to that in the idea of we shouldn't use shame arbitrarily. We shouldn't use it maliciously. We shouldn't use it manipulatively. All of that is true. But in my perspective, and I think it's just true, there is healthy shame and there is unhealthy shame. A lot of that, yeah, goes back to our very first lessons. We're gonna go on my autistic tangents here sometimes. The line from Fight Club comes to mind. You know, when Tyler Durden's talking to the the main character, our parents are our models for God. If our parents failed us, what does that say about God? That line always stuck with me because our parents are kind of godlike figures in our life. We depend on them for literally everything. They control everything. They make the world in a very literal way in which we live, and including they teach us how to think about the world in which we live. And that's what's happening, I think, when they are teaching us about what is proper or moral to feel shame about and what it is not i got a lot of ideas in my head and, and names of, of theoretical perspectives, but I don't have all the details sometimes. Like this I is why I
1: love the... talking with you, though, because I never <laughs> really know where it's going to go, but I know I'm going to enjoy the journey.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think these things are all related. The uh, moral foundations are care, harm, fairness, cheating, loyalty, betrayal, authority, subversion, sanctity, degradation, and liberty, oppression. I focus really heavily on liberty oppression. His theory is that each of us have different intuitions. There are feelings we have about what is the most important thing about interactions with other people in the world, how to act, why to take certain behaviors or not. So some people are very high on care harm. If failing to help someone means that person suffers, then you have extremely compassionate and motivated to take action and you feel a personal sense of shame or guilt for failing to save someone. When you could have. If you're fairness cheating, you might look at someone suffering because they cheated and say, you deserve that. I don't have enough care harm foundation to say I should save you from the consequences of your own mistake. A lot of these blend together. And again, this is only a theory. Some people have taken this on as uh, humans are biological machines. We have instincts just like any other animal and free will is an illusion. And we're just retroactively justifying our own intuitions, quote, unquote, logically. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Yes, we have feelings. Yes, they are strong. No, we don't have to be driven by our elephant of emotion. We can be a rider directing that emotion or suppressing it or channeling it into socially appropriate directions, which I think is a lot of what teaching the proper idea of when to feel shame is directing that emotion, that innate capacity. We have to feel ashamed of ourselves that we've done something wrong and put it to good use channeling that
1: into something healthier into something that gives me the results that I'm wanting and not just staying stagnant and this is what it is and I can't really do much about it going back to what you said earlier I only have these inclinations these are my strengths and I can't do anything to change that I think I'm too far from the mic (laughs) let me try this again we're gonna come with maybe certain boxes that tend to dominate us a little bit more We can learn other skills. Maybe we're not super Mm -hmm. compassionate, but we can learn how to be compassionate. Maybe we grew up in environments where we didn't get thanked for things. Our parents didn't say thank you for doing the dishes, didn't say thank you for taking out the trash. So we don't have that in our vocabulary. And maybe as a result of that, we don't feel seen, we don't feel validated often. But we can learn how to add that to our vocabulary. So when we're with our partner and children, if we want to reproduce or with friends or colleagues, we can help them feel validated too. We forget the wonders of neuroplasticity sometimes that we can literally reprogram our minds. We can set up new pathways. It doesn't matter what we're used to and how many years we've been doing things. If we want to and we work at it, we can change the way that our brain is shaped. That's amazing. And just to take that stance of this is how I am. I can't do it. It's not empowering at all. It's not realistic and it's not even remotely accurate. Shame is an emotion that's not healthy to feel like that all of the time because we are wonderful people. We can learn from our mistakes, but I do feel guilt is okay. And the way that Mm. I would differentiate that is shame, I think, comes into, hey, you suck as a person. You're awful. You're stuck in this. It's super hopeless. Whereas guilt, okay, I can recognize that I wasn't super friendly. I wasn't super compassionate then. I wasn't very open to other possibilities that were going on. I was a bit narrow-minded and I'm going to work on this tomorrow guilt can be a little bit more hopeful. I can improve on this later. I can identify that this is an area that I fell short and I'm going to improve on this later. Whereas shame, I think it just keeps you in very self-destructive patterns where it tells you there is no hope for you. You suck. You're awful. You always, you never. And I think that would be the difference. What are your thoughts?
0: It's a great thing to analyze. And the first thing was like, well, shame versus guilt. Well, what's the difference? Like if I'm put on the spot, not that you're doing that on purpose, but I am. I'm like, what do I think? (laughs) I don't And my first thought was, I don't know. That's a really good question. So I go back to the Google Foo. Okay, shame versus guilt. How do these define? So we've got the uh, National Institutes of Health saying guilt is concerned primarily with one's responsibility for a harmful attitude or behavior. And they contrast that to shame, which they say implies a non moral, negative Mm self-evaluation. It's an interesting idea. To look at it through the legal lens, and we get to why that's maybe not a great lens in just a second, but either you committed the crime, you performed an action which is criminal by law, or you did not. So guilt and it versus innocence is a matter of how the law is structured and whether or not your physical behavior, the law is properly descriptive of that behavior, and then we say that's you are guilty. My problem with using the law as any kind of standard ever is that Something which is not immoral can be made criminal, or we might have things, you know, not to get too heavy, but it was once perfectly legal for people to hold slaves. It mm-hmm. was never, never moral, but it was legal. So the law mm-hmm. is no benchmark of what is good. If you did it, then you are responsible for it. And that can be good or bad. I mean, consequences are just what comes after. I work a job, the consequences, I get a paycheck. Well, that's not bad. No, consequences aren't necessarily bad. I screw up at work, I might get fired. Yeah, that's also a consequence. Guilt is almost like, did you do it or did you not do it? And sometimes intent matters and sometimes accident modifies responsibility in some ways. Is it really your fault or is it not? They're distinguishing that from shame, which I don't know that it can be non-moral. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, of why they would assert it to be non-moral versus moral.
1: That you're being super unkind with yourself. Mm. And holding yourself maybe to things that aren't true. Sometimes we have such unrealistic expectations about who we need to be, who we are, that it's not healthy at all. Whereas guilt, it's more of, hey, let's take an honest analysis here of what you did and what happened and how that affected other people, how that affects how you feel and what you can do to improve. And the crazy thing with guilt and with shame is that it only happens according to our level of cognizance and self-awareness. There's some people who feel no guilt and no shame, no matter what they have done. There's things that I feel guilt about where I'm like, oh, I could have been kinder. I could have said this better. And I feel really guilty for that. I felt ashamed yeah. when I've crossed lines before that I knew I didn't need to cross and that weren't healthy. Mm. One time I put myself in a super, super dangerous position and I felt super ashamed of that because A, I knew better. B, I've experienced this before. Don't know why I brought this up. And C, <laughs> something awful had just happened to a friend. And I put myself in a similar position for that to happen. See, I felt ashamed. I felt like I am so dumb. Why did I do this? And it felt awful. And then I had to work through that. I had to process and give myself some grace and say, okay, I went back into something that wasn't healthy for me because it felt familiar. It felt comfortable. I needed something familiar at this time where I was feeling so displaced. Some people may not feel any shame or any guilt. It all kind of depends on our level of cognizance and our awareness and how honest we're willing to be with ourselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many great things there. But The first one is that the feeling of shame does very much depend on the capacity to understand having done something wrong, whether you are correct that what you did was wrong or not. You're two years old and you poop your pants, uh, your diaper, because that's what you do. You haven't been potty trained yet and you don't really know that that's what's expected because parents haven't said, okay, it's time to start learning how to use the toilet. You're just completely ignorant and there is no shame in a baby Mm -hmm. pooping their diaper. If I did that today on purpose, like I'm just sitting on the subway (laughs) and I decide I'm just going to shit my pants. Right, and I leave a stain on the seat and the other people around me are like, oh God, what's that stench? I would feel properly guilty in, in a sense of afflicting other people with that, being unsanitary in public, embarrassed, you know, all of the above. Even if it was accidental, forget doing it on purpose, but just like poor bladder control or bowel control, you know, it was, oh shit, I have a sudden accident. That speaks, I think, to what you were saying, the idea of having a very high bar of self-expectation. Mm-hmm. If we set that bar really high and then we fail to meet it, we become our own judge and and judge ourselves guilty of failing. Don't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. First, you have to have the capacity to do something. If you don't, then you haven't failed. It was never possible. And then we get into, okay, well, what's a reasonable standard? we can have unrealistic standards. Like I should be a perfect angel in perfect control of my emotions at all times. And if I ever slip even slightly, I must flagellate to the point of drawing blood. And that's probably not a good extreme to go to in my my, my opinion. Yeah.
1: There's so many factors here that are just a bit mind blowing. Different Mm -hmm. kinds of people have different kinds of moral compasses. Some people are totally okay spanking their kids. Some people are totally okay and can operate lying being manipulative to get ahead in business, to get ahead in whatever, some people are cool with that. And they will not spend any time in guilt or shame about those things because they're like, this is how I get things done. This is what I needed to do. Yeah. Sometimes that was modeled. Someone who's living in the projects and they've struggled their entire life and they've had to steal to get food. Stealing is not legal and it's not kind. But at the same time, I can't judge that because they needed to eat. They needed to survive. They had to do the things that they knew how to do to survive. And that's where a lot of that self-compassion and understanding comes in. Okay, maybe I grew up in a system where there were certain things that I needed to do to survive. Those were adaptive behaviors at that time. But then later on, the kind of person that I want to really be, the kind of relationships that I want to have, do these behaviors actually help me do that? Or are they now maladaptive behaviors are they now helping me get the opposite of what it is that I really want oh yeah So everyone has to be their own judge what is your moral compass where do you stand what is right and what is wrong for you and then how does this affect your relationships if we want to have these amazing fulfilling relationships how can we get that without processing our shame without really reassessing where is my moral compass what kind of person that I want to be.
0: That's the magic, isn't it? It's like, what's the golden mean? What's the proper proportion of accepting responsibility and feeling proper shame? I fucked up, you know.
1: To take accountability for that, to say, hey, I made a mistake here. What am I going to do to fix this without getting shut down, without being like, oh, it's worthless to try now, but to actually Mm -hmm. want to move forward. How do you think that does play out in our relationships?
0: Yin-yang is probably my I call it the original name for God, the totality of things that everything contains its opposite and it all works together. And more of one is less of the other and that kind of thing. So we've got healthy shame and and unhealthy shame and how to tell the difference. A lot of it. Yeah. We rely on our parents. Again, there's a dichotomy of that too. How well did they teach it and how well did we listen? So, and there's things we absolutely should be properly ashamed of. Certainly when we've done harm or failed to live up to our own standards, assuming they are reasonable. We've long had these questions. I mean, who's if you have two people who disagree about something, well, I feel like you're wrong. Well, I feel like I'm right. Okay, well, which one do we choose? And I think that might be the reason we invented religion, so to speak, to try and answer those questions. I don't think it's anywhere <laughs> near what you were looking for. I wish I had all the answers. I mean, uh, my answer would be uh, the non-aggression principle. Don't hurt other people. Yeah. I
1: love that. That's just so simple. Don't hurt <laughs> other people. Just be kind to them.
0: Well, And then there's the, the yin-yang of it, which is do no harm and take no shit you're not obligated to be a doormat to avoid harming someone yeah if they're trying to kill you you get to shoot them you do libertarianism is not a religion of pacifism
1: (laughs) i never ever understand in movies when they have the kill shot to someone who's literally just betrayed you and the guys are like no we're gonna fight this out with my hands i'm like literally shoot (laughs) him and go
0: Always bugged me about, say, the 80s slasher films, Michael Myers and what down. They knock him down. He's impaled on the pitchfork. What? I'm like, cut off his head. What are you waiting for? <laughs> don't run. Finish him. Oh, I, I hated that. And it wasn't even that the movies weren't scary. They were infuriating.
1: They yeah, were like, because they don't like, make logical sense.
0: Don't split up to search the house. Don't go in the basement. Always cut off the monster's head. These are basic, basic horror things. You close the door behind you. Lock Always it. Always close please. Lock it. Yes. <laughs> All of my friends are missing. I'm going to take a shower. No, what are you doing? (laughs) Idiots. That drove me crazy. It's it's spooky-tober. So it's time for scary movies, huh?
1: It's something you said earlier that I really Mm -hmm. liked. You know, when people are perceiving things two different ways, how do you know which one's right? What way is actually accurate? I think there's a space where we can hopefully come together and understand, hey, you're perceiving this event completely differently than I am. And I think that's Okay not in the cases where people are intentionally trying to gaslight you or trying to manipulate your perception of things, but two people could be at a party. One person could have so much fun at that party and another person could be like, that was a really lame party. Those things are true for those people, but they're not trying to do anything to manipulate anyone else's perception or control anyone else's perception. I think maybe that's the line understanding, hey, we're two different kinds of human beings and we're just perceiving this completely differently. But I want to speak in Relationships to the part that hey, this is hurting you. How can I help you with that? How can I maybe modify my behavior so this is no longer affecting you so negatively, and so that our relationship can be more harmonious?
0: Yeah, the example of parties is great because I'm I'm the kind of guy that's like I appreciate the invitation and I'm not coming (laughs) Uh, because if I'm at a party, no matter how much I love all the people there, I want to go home. For me, there's a tremendous amount of stress with people around me and eye contact with everybody and managing emotions and relationships and conversations, I'm like, I would just rather, no, thank you. You know, nothing (laughs) nothing wrong with that. If you are a very extroverted social butterfly and you, God, you just love every second of it. And it, it crushes your heart to have to leave the people you love the most. I get it. I don't feel it, but I get it. I'm the opposite way of like, if I have to interact with one more person today, I'm going to scream. You know, think I I have to look someone else in the eye and and have a conversation, it's just going to overwhelm me. And it's great talking to you, and especially in this format. I love these um, internet meetings. You know, we just pop on, we have a chat and we're we're done. It's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's good. (laughs) Say Thanks for your time. Goodbye. (laughs) I was never here. (laughs) Oh, but that gets to, yeah. And that's okay. So speaking of like, how do we tell my solution to that? And this is just for me is that, I've narrowed it down to, as far as I can tell, that non-aggression principle side of things. I don't use force against people. I don't try to defraud people with lies. And I don't try to coerce people with threats of violence.
1: Erickson has this last final stage where it's integrity versus despair. When you get to age 65 and you're just kind of reminiscing on your own life and you're just saying, hey, am I honest to who I know that I really am? Or do I feel a lot of despair around that? Did I waste my life? How am am I going to reconcile things before I die? And even if you're not a religious person and it's not like, I don't care how I'm going to meet my maker. I, I feel great. It's just like, hey, before I die, before I don't get any more opportunities to correct the behavior, to create the reality and relationships that I wanted, how am I reconciling that? With everything that we've talked about today, some thoughts that come to mind with that are just how does my integrity play a role in my relationship? How does that help the relationships? How does that help me be who I want to be? And how does shame just destroy that? Shame doesn't allow us to really look at what it is that we're doing because it's such an uncomfortable emotion. If shame is, we're defining it as, hey, you're an awful person. Everything about you is wrong. You've really messed up real bad. You're worthless. We are not going to want to feel that or look at that. So it's not going to invite self-inventory or self-assessment. Instead, it's going to say, hey, don't worry about this. Let's sweep this under the rug. This did not happen. And that affects our integrity. And that affects the people's ability to rely on us, to trust us, to know, hey, this is the partner that I love. This is a partner I can count on. Unprocessed shame, I think the worst thing that it does for us is that it alienates us from who we are and it alienates us from the people we want to have relationships with. It Mm -hmm. alienates us from having the kind of quality of life that we actually really want to have.
0: Negative emotions, if we go with the um, evolutionary psychology lens, negative emotions just like pain evolved for a reason pain evolved to let us know hey your physical form is damaged if you do not attend to this injury you will die you will not reproduce evolutionary advantage you know the fact that we can feel pain and that goes for our psychological states of mind anxiety is there is the perception of some immediate danger therefore you must pay attention and it and anxiety it heightens our uh, you know sympathetic nervous system physiological response all that good stuff and the same goes with you know fear and shame If all you're doing is sitting in those feelings in a way that stagnates us, trapped in a pit of despair and feeling nothing but intense shame, you're not doing anything to make anything better. What I say about these negative emotions is that it's okay to have them. Of course, you can't avoid it, but you have to do something with the negative emotion. You have to use it as motivation to change. If you have anxiety, there's probably something you're not addressing or attending to that you could be doing to make your environment safer, to resolve un you know uh, unfinished projects, or or you know to pay a bill that is overdue, whatever the practical solution, and that's it could be easier said than done. To say, well, you just transform your your uh, you know trauma into triumph. That's a, a bit of a truism and and a bit of an empty whatever they call it platitude. But that is actually the secret too. It's like if you're sitting in shame and it's ruining your day and all you can do is wallow, as they say, in in that misery and self pity, that's wasted energy. You got to take that and transform it into something. You got to say, I don't want to feel this way. I'm going to use this negative emotion to motivate change. Mm -hmm. And as long as the negative emotion is serving a useful purpose, it's okay. It's when it's completely absent, when it should be there, or it's overwhelming to the point of causing that a freeze portion of the fight or flight you know mm-hmm. sometimes you want to fight sometimes you want to run away these these actually can be good things but what you don't want to do is nothing unless that's the right thing to do this i'm contradicting myself here sometimes <laughs> the right thing to do is nothing wallowing in self-pity as i said like just sitting in constant shame and feeling oh i'm such a horrible person universally it's not doing you any good it's just not productive
1: back when i was i think 17 and suicidal not mm. the maybe fact check that because I'm really bad with dates. But there's a point in my life where I was suicidal. I just was stuck in this loop of complete despair. I prayed and I said, this can't be why you created me. If there's a God, <laughs> that's how the prayer went. Hey, God, right. if there's uh, a God and if you're real. God, if you
0: exist. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this can't be why you created me. To just feel like I'm on a black abyss in a hamster wheel at the bottom of an ocean somewhere in a black hole. Mm-hmm. This can't be it. And I remember feeling, hey, go to Peru, see where you came from, learn who you are, learn to be grateful for things that you have. Super interesting Mm. thing for God to say to someone who's suicidal and depressed, learn to be grateful for the things that you have. I did that and I had to go and kind of figure what can I do? This is where I am. And this sucks. This feels awful. So awful. I want to end everything right here. But what is it that I can do to move forward from this? What game plan? What strategy can I employ to move forward How can I process all this trauma? I'm so Mm. glad that I took that shift to say, okay, this is actually what I want. And I was brave enough to look at those things. Maybe sometimes that's the problem. It's not easy to be brave enough to look at those things or to feel those uncomfortable emotions. It's a lot easier to just pretend, hey, this didn't happen. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to process this. But then it affects our relationship with ourselves and other people. It affects the quality of life that we can have. I do believe we're all fundamentally good and we all fundamentally want to be happy and have happy relationships with other people. But sometimes all these unprocessed emotions lead us to shut down, to turn away, to turn to substances for regulation or for numbing. You know, we Mm -hmm. scroll on the phones all day or we watch all the movies or play all the video games. We do anything to avoid feeling that unpleasant emotion. But that doesn't create any kind of environment for healing for ourselves or it doesn't make us reliable for other people.
0: It can be very tempting. It's that denial it's not happening or the um, unreasonable radical acceptance of like, I don't deserve better. Something you said was really, really important as a as a demonstration of the phenomenon. It's like you weren't in a good space in your life. So you physically got up and went somewhere and did something. And for you, it was a trip to Peru. Okay, not everyone needs to go to Peru maybe, but you're sitting in your house, you're feeling miserable about yourself, about your circumstances, about life, I would say as hard as it might be, you got to get up and do something, anything productive, literally put shoes on and go take a walk, physically relocate briefly, 10 minutes up and down the street, whatever, or do something productive, clean your room, clean the house, tend to some chore that's been left unfinished, do something. Now this is, Not gonna work for everybody. Full disclosure: I've been, I've had suicidal thoughts. I think actually most people do. I think it's more normal than people realize. They don't talk about it. They don't take it seriously. But a lot of us question: Do I even want to live in this world? I could just leave, right? At least that thought crosses our mind. That Uh there's a there's a moment in our life when we realize, oh, that's a real possibility. People do that. I could do that. Do I want to do that? Why would I even be thinking of that? Whatever. Most people dismiss it like that. They don't have you know major depression and whatnot. Try and make some behavioral changes. Be more active. Take care of some problems. Uh, simplify your life. Get away from people that are bad for you. A lot of different things you can do behaviorally. That's the cognitive behavioral side. And then if that doesn't work yet, you probably want to look into the psychiatric side of things.
1: Changing those behaviors really helped me. And sometimes it's so hard. So I really empathize for the people that it's hard for. I hope that we give trying a go because my life is a lot better than I ever thought it could be. I don't want to get too heavy here. (laughs) I have really loved talking with you today, Ben, and I just want to give you an opportunity to invite people to speak with you.
0: I didn't mention, hey, I do my own thing. I'm on YouTube. I'm the Dream Wizard guy. If you have dreams, please reach out. You know, I'm not overbooked. I want to talk to you. You don't have to be anybody special. I got books uh, books for <laughs> sale at uh, benjaminthedreamwizard.com. That's about it for the uh, self-promotion.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today, Ben. My last question, if you could invite people to do one thing just one simple thing to improve the quality of their lives, their daily experiences, and the quality of their relationships, what would it be?
0: Touch grass. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> now that's the meme, but it is true. Get outside. Turn the phone off for a minute. Get away from the TV and the news and the 24-7 propaganda and the stress and the strains. Get outside and do something. Get a hobby. Go for a walk. Touch grass. You know, It can mean a lot of different things definitely get offline we do need exercise you want to stretch your legs our bodies are made to move it'll help you poop speaking of we talked a lot (laughs) about poop today you know if you're having uh, bowel issues you got to walk around a bit it helps grind up the stuff that needs to come out smoothly so you don't get hemorrhoids that kind
1: of of thing